feel of light coming to me. Show me what I need to see. Welcome to the Small Victories Podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Victoria, an inspirational thought leader that offers transformational perspectives based on my unique experiences as a woman born without arms and legs. I feel like my life has been full of small victories that has led me to discover the greatness within. I believe that there is no summit upon which we reach our greatness. I believe it is a culmination of small victories achieved moment by moment when we turn toward the inward battle where we get to choose despair or hope, misery or miracles, defeat or victory. My goal is to awaken your potential, your purpose, and your power so that you can discover the greatness that lives within you. Think of this podcast as your weekly portion of tools, stories, and teachings that help you reflect on the small victories in your life. Thanks for tuning in and let's begin. Thanks for joining another episode of the Small Victories Podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Victoria. Do you know what the work you do is valued at? Do you underbid the contribution your knowledge and skills bring to a company? Historically, statistics show that women tend to negotiate less than their counterparts. Why is that? And how can we shift these statistics so women feel more comfortable with negotiating for their worth? Here to talk with me about this is Mia Smithson. Mia is CEO and founder of the 30K program, which empowers women to get higher paying jobs by teaching them how to effectively package skills and strategically negotiate with competence. This results in women in the program increasing their income by 30,000 or more, on average within 12 months. She loves helping people get their dream jobs and effectively negotiate without leaving money on the table. Mia, thanks for coming on the podcast. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. I know you are a firework and you have so much information and energy and you're very passionate about this. So I'm going to just dive in and I want to first start out with your story and why you are so passionate about helping women achieve and negotiate their worth in their professional career. Yeah, so it all starts with my background, right? So I have seven years of experience. I've interviewed about 5,000 people throughout my time as a global director of talent management. And I've noticed a man and woman will be interviewing for the same role. They're of comparable experience. And the man will consistently ask for right about 20K more, right? I have personal experience with this. (laughs) So I found out that I was underpaid for this was at the time I was a senior recruiter and I was underpaid by $30,000. And I found out this information. I felt my blood boil. Mm -hmm. Like I could not believe it. And what's interesting is at the time I was making total comp was around six figures, right? So one thing to note is you can be underpaid and be making a six figure salary, right? But the feeling that I felt was so horrible that I did not want anyone else to feel that same feeling. And so I literally started this program within a week of finding that out. Wow. Talk about an action taker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So 
I feel like there's a lot to unpack there, even in that little short story, because I'm sure there are people who are listening to this who could relate to that. And maybe it's they don't, don't know. And maybe you happen to come upon this information by accident. But if we dive in a little bit more, why is it that men tend to be willing or able to ask for 20,000 more than women? Is it something that we're programmed for? Or I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah, so I think there's multiple factors at play. One thing that's interesting to note is the difference between personal versus business worth. So I think there's a lot of women who think that the amount of money that they earn dictates their value as a human being. Mm. And I know of a number of job boards that actually say, earn your worth. They use that exact Mm -hmm. line, like you're supposed to earn your worth as a human being. And so in the program, we clearly delineate it right? There's your personal worth, which at least I believe is a hundred percent. I don't believe you can be like a more worthy person than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And then there's your business worth. And that is made up of the skills that you've acquired, how much you effectively negotiate with potential people who need your skills. I mean, there's a number of factors at play. So yeah, it's interesting. I feel like there's also a lot of, I don't talk that our society, like women are told where it's bad to like ask for more money, right? It's bad to negotiate. And there's a lot of this kind of morality that's tied into it. And until you really unpack that, it's difficult to to step forward and truly negotiate effectively. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to unpack a little bit about how does this come about? You know, my experience, I'm an entrepreneur now, but I did work in Silicon Valley in the corporate America. And it's typically, here's the job, here are the duties, here's the pay range. And, you know, there really wasn't like an opportunity, or at least I didn't see an opportunity to negotiate that pay range. So practically speaking, how does this happen? Is it you know, a gentleman comes in and they change the price or salary of what the job is versus when a woman comes in to interview for it? Or is it that men can take initiative and talk about it? Negotiation is a dance. And I do not feel most view it that way, but a lot of guys do. So when you enter a negotiation, what is one of the first questions that you're asked? what's the salary range that you're looking for? And a lot of people answer that question. The strongest negotiators, right? So there's a tactic, it's called reversing, and it is a recruiting best practice. And that is where someone asks you the question, and then you reverse it and you ask them the counter question, right? So if someone were to ask me, you know, what's the salary range that you're targeting? I wouldn't tell them. Instead, I would say, well, what's the salary range for the role? And right now, in eight countries across the United States, they are legally required to tell you that salary range. A lot of companies will just tell you it out blank if you ask them. (laughs) In eight different states, sorry. They're legally required to let you know that information. And so the whole point is not to spill your candy. What I mean by that is not to tell them that number first. Mm. Right, because you don't really know the cards that they're holding. Like it's mm. truly like a card game, right? So my sister, she is a senior tech recruiter and there was a role that she was interviewing for. 
And at the time, I'm going to use kind of fake numbers for the state of confidentiality, was targeting, let's just say, around 90,000. And this role, because she knew how to effectively do this reversing technique, she found out that the role was actually paying. It was roughly 40K more. And they even had an equity package as well. And so because she didn't spill her candy and say that number first, she was able to find out that information and she was able to strategically negotiate an offer that really didn't leave that extra money lying on the table, right? And I will say that I think it's important that you cannot just talk about the reversal without talking about the double reversal. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So so if you just say the reversal, let's just say you're interviewing me and you're like, Maria, what's the side range that you're targeting? I do one reversal and I say, you know, before I let you know that information, I'm curious what's the side range for the role. And let's just say you do not disclose it, right? You respond back and you're like, oh, I'm not really sure. I'd have to talk with the hiring manager about that. Could you let me know the salary range they're targeting? And you could be like, you know, I'm so excited to learn more about this role. It seems like such a great fit. Could you do me a favor? It sounds like the hiring manager knows this information. Could you just respond back via email once you do know that salary range, right? And then at that time, you're able to come back with a counteroffer. And the big thing is that calm people make the most money. Hmm. I am not kidding you. That has been one of the biggest things that I've noticed from interviewing 5,000 people. What I find is that oftentimes it's the women who are, what's the salary range you're targeting? Oh, you know, 90, 90, maybe a hundred K, but I'd be okay with going lower. I cannot tell you the number of times I hear that one phrase. I'd be okay with going right? Mm-hmm. And it's this like constant and they do not wait for the silence. There is supposed to be silence in the negotiation mm-hmm. as a person is processing, deciding their response and the silence is uncomfortable and let it be so, right? Because that's what I see. It's like the men come in there and they're like, yeah, what's the salary range for the role? And I'm like, oh, you know, I normally don't disclose it this early in the interview process. That's actually one of my, my, they'll be like, oh yeah, I understand that. But it is important for me to know all the information up front when assessing new job opportunities. When would you be able to let me know that information? And they just play this kind of role play and they're not spilling their cards, none of that. And then even when I tell them what that salary range looks like, they're like, oh, I mean, that's a great starting point. I'd like to discuss, I noticed you mentioned an, a stock purchasing plan, but my current investing cliff is, in my opinion, a little bit stronger. Could we just open this up to discuss this conversation? Right. So they're bringing up the low hanging fruit of negotiation. Uh, and I, I you know I'm like more than answering your question, but like, I listen, love it. there are so many small little things. If you know how to play the game, you'll win the game as opposed to just kind of fearfully going in there and being like, oh, just give me whatever's lying on the table. Ah, right. It's like you need to go in there feeling powerful, feeling empowered and ready to truly like walk this conversation. It is not just them interviewing you, you're interviewing them as well, right? You're in demand, you're a candidate, you could get a job elsewhere. If they don't have what you're looking for, 
you'll find work that does, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I love it. And so, you know, a lot of people in my audience are entrepreneurs. And so this is very much applicable to sales. Yeah. People can't stand the silence. They'll tell them the price of the product that they're selling or their program. And then, you know, they'll sit there for maybe one or two seconds, but then they'll be like, oh, well, if you can't pay that, we can work something out. Or they will start back talking themselves instead of sticking in the silence and staying there, even as comfortable as it can be. Do you have advice for people who are really uncomfortable in the silence? Yeah. So two things. So the first is, and this is for all of your entrepreneurs, wait for the gasp. It's okay for the person to be like, well, that's a lot pricier than I thought. If you fully believe in the value of your product, then let it be expensive. So I would say that's part of it. And people also appreciate what they pay for. If you could tell me for free, you're probably not going to value it as much as something that it would skin off your back to pay for that. I would say also knowing how to effectively anchor, right? So let's just say that you have two different products and, or even services. And the first is $10,000 for a year. And then the second is a membership that's only $77 a month. Starting with that, you know, 10K, and then maybe the person says, oh, that's not the right fit at this moment in time. And then you can always say, oh, well, I mean, we actually do offer this other option as well, but not saying it too early in the process, like letting the silence be there and sitting with it. And then also going through, and this is something I did within my own coaching business is like every single objection, getting to the root of it and actually writing out every single objection in order of priority and then getting to like the heart of what the objection is really about. Price is never price. Price is about value. They don't see the value. So if they can understand the value, that's amazing. Or maybe it's not the right fit. Maybe they are not looking for something that has that value. But I would say that like getting to the heart of like what you're really talking about is key. And then I'd also like one of the things I've noticed is that people do not know how to make effective decisions. And this is one of the biggest things that I've noticed is having candidates who have multiple job offers and they don't know how to decide. They don't know how to decide what's important to them, how to kind of rank the different criteria. And so actually walking someone through effective decision-making when it comes to a purchasing decision or a new job, I think it's a really valuable skill. Like I believe that a consult call is truly, there's like a coaching element to them. Your partner's in this and you're walking through what's best for that person. And it may be whatever you're selling or your job and it may not. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to do as much good as you possibly can for that person, then that's what's really important. Wow, that's really, really great. Yeah, whether you're in a career and you work for a company or you're an entrepreneur, those are really universal principles which we can apply to our ability to sell ourselves, essentially. Okay, wait, so I want to step back real quick. Okay, you've had some really cool names for these tactics that you have. I just want to make sure we go through. If you have been listening and you haven't been taking notes, take notes now. The reversal. 
That's number one. The next one is don't spill the candy and let me know if I'm on track. And another one is the double reversal. (laughs) So that's three. And I know you have a couple more. Did I miss some or did you not already share those? Not on so far. So then one other is anchoring, which is where you typically, you'll say a number that's larger first and you wait for the gas. Just wait for it, right? And then if you have something lower priced, then you can say it after waiting fully for that silence and truly understanding if indeed the higher price thing is a good fit or not. Because sometimes people go for it off the bat. You never know, right? So that's anchoring. And then I would say the fifth is having a really strong BATNA, which stands for best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Right. So you like, I have never accepted a job offer without having multiple job offers, like ever. It's so, so important. And that way you're able to leverage them where you're like, oh, well, this rule, it seems like a really great fit, but I do have this other opportunity and paying 10% more. And I really like this company from a values perspective, it just seems so in line. But at the same time, I do want to take strong fiscal care of my family. And so this is something that I want to discuss. So when you actually say the percentage, oftentimes you can negotiate for more because you're like, oh, a 10%, it's not that much. And then they're actually like, oh crap, we just, you know, signed to give her XYZ amount because they quantify it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, really strong that does is really important. And that's just part of having a really strong like job application strategy where you're not siloed. Because I think that where you see this desperate energy is when people are like, oh, I just have to have this one job. This is my dream job. Oh my gosh, you have no idea. No, no, no. Your dream job is whatever you make your dream job. Like, let's get real here. I know that any room I walk into, I'm going to be able to add immense amount of value and I'm going to have a ton of fun. And there will be circumstances that I'll probably not enjoy. And that's part of any role, right? There's going to be pros and cons. So that's just kind of part of it is not getting so stuck on one, but instead having multiple really strong batnas and not getting this kind of emotionally involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the, the a big thing that I also noticed. So I'm a dropout of a doctoral program for clinical neuropsychopharmacology. I had like this huge moment in my career of like, do I want to like continue and pursue talent acquisition and management or instead be a doctor? And I decided dropping out of this doctoral program. Anyways, though, one of the things that I learned was all about this concept called amygdala hijacking, which is where emotions lie in your amygdala, right? Like that's where you get full of love and deep emotion and passion. It's all amygdala, right? But if you can actually learn how to not have your amygdala hijacked and instead really come from your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that has like really strong decision making where you're able to really come at it and have a really solid, calm conversation, that's when you'll have the most strength. So if you ever notice kind of this raspy, high energy and you have to move fast and it has to be this and you notice yourself getting super emotional, that means you're likely going through what's called amygdala hijacking and just kind of take a pause. Sometimes just literally I'll set the timer for 90 seconds and I'll just watch my brain and my brain will naturally calm down. And studies do show, there's a really interesting study by a Stanford researcher that shows that it takes roughly 90 seconds for emotions to dissipate 
if you do not fight that emotion, right? So I'll just feel that emotion. Even if you're on like a business call, you just kind of feel that emotion, let it process through your body. And then you're able to come at the conversation with confidence, calmness. You're able to still maintain your strategic edge within that conversation. Fascinating. I love it. (laughs) I absolutely love it. It's like riding the wave, but now it makes sense because women tend to be more in tune and run by their emotions versus men who can just be matter of fact, like here are the facts. Here's what I want. Boom, boom, boom. Let's go. And so I can see how women tend to historically ask for less because they come from that place of, for some, it might be desperation for some. It's like, oh, I don't want to ask for too much. You know, like, I don't want to be a burden on them or like, who am I? That kind of lack of confidence in your knowledge and your skills. Is there anything in your program that helps you get women confident in their knowledge and skills and the value that they can bring to a company or to a customer if they're an entrepreneur? Practice. So the program's a year long. We meet every single week. And so before you have interviews, we do practice rounds, right? And that's how you build that confidence because you're like, I'm not even a practice negotiation for this. I got this. And the big thing is, if you're negotiating with your little brother or with your husband as the practice, you are missing out, right? Because they don't have negotiation strategies where they can be like, oh, here's a perfect time, you know, in, uh, if they say this, you can ask for tuition reimbursement or discuss a comp package for a work at home stipend or discuss a signing bonus or here's the perfect opportunity. You know, I noticed that throughout this negotiation, you were really upset that it was a senior manager title and your core role is a director level title. Like, you know, here's an, uh, an awesome opportunity to negotiate the title, which you can do and which I see happen every day of the week, primarily by men, right? And so it's like, we literally intertwine in, the woman will say something and we'll be like, no, 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 reframe this. Or you may want to add in this part. And the big thing is like, I'm a big believer that your thoughts lead to your feelings, which leads to your actions, which leads to your results, mm-hmm. Right. And so if you can get someone where they're thinking thoughts that are helping them, then you're at a really, really great place. But if the person comes in there and they're really kind of not feeling super confident and they're nervous, then we have issues. And so I think I'm not a big believer in like saying this mantra over and over and over again, but I am a big believer in saying statements that make you feel like the best version of yourself. A personal statement that I believe and that I own is I am in demand. And I think that every day I have that written on so many documents. I am in demand. I am in demand. I am in demand. And so if I ever feel just a little crouch of like, oh no, ah, oh my God, I'm like, I'm in demand, right? And having that steady eddy phrase that I believe I am in demand. I have proof, quantifiable proof that I'm in demand. And like having some sort of also kind of statement that will help is beneficial as well. But the big thing here is that it's multifactorial, right? We'll have the negotiation practice. There's a lot of training that we do on negotiation. So none of it's ever a surprise. And I think that that's kind of the thing that's 
one of the biggest takeaways from the program is that like the women feel empowered, not just in their careers, but it begins to show up in other areas of their life because they begin to not be afraid to ask, to Mm. not be afraid of rejection and of putting themselves out there. That is just, it's fun. It's exciting. It's purposeful. It's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. So the context in which you're operating in is to help women earn their worth and be, and not be afraid of negotiating for their worth. But really, in essence, it's about building up women's ability to step in and own their power and know it to the very cell of their being that no one can counter them in the negotiations. They're going to stick to what they believe because they know it's true. They find evidence of it. They've worked with you to practice the scripts. And, you know, as I'm listening to you talk, the two takeaways that I have to the women are stop second guessing yourselves and learn to play poker. (laughs) 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 We often wear our hearts on our sleeves and it can be a blessing and it can be part of our power and it can also be a curse and be a detriment to us and what it is that we bring to the table, whether it be in a job or in our business to customers. So Mia, thank you so much for doing this. I absolutely love your energy. I love your passion for this, for empowering women. And I know that that term gets thrown around so much, empowering women, but really that's what you're standing for, is for women to really know and believe who they are and what they're worth so that they can give more. Here are this episode's takeaways. Your self-worth is not the same as your business worth. Your self-worth doesn't increase or decrease based on what you do or what you can offer the world. It exists simply because you are. There is supposed to be uncomfortable silence during negotiation. Do not be afraid of it. For every job, it is not just them interviewing you. You are interviewing them as well. You are in demand. You are a candidate. If the company doesn't have what you're looking for, you'll find work elsewhere that does. If you fully believe in the value of your product, then let it be expensive. Price is never price. Price is about value. Your dream job is whatever you make it to be. When you're run by reason and not by your emotions, you can have a really solid, calm, conversation, and that's when you'll have the most strength. Ride the wave of your emotions, let it pass, but do not get swept in it. When women feel empowered, it just doesn't show up in their careers, but in other areas of life as well, because they begin to not be afraid to ask. When you can own your power, oh my gosh, can you imagine what can unfold from that? Not just more money, But you allow yourself space to try new things, to solve new problems, to learn new skills, which makes you then even more valuable. And so, yes, let's empower women and step into that. Own it with every part of who you are and 
I believe when you can do that, then we'll live a life of victory. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Small Victories podcast. And until we meet again, be blessed. Angel of light, come into me. Show me what I need to see. You are my pathway into the light. Lead me from shadows to Show.